0: You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org. Well, I love, love, love stories. In fact, my wife, I think, often would love for me to tell some of my stories to to somebody else because she's heard them so many times. I love the the series that we've been in this summer with Pastor Rick, and these are specific stories, purposeful stories, stories that come directly from Jesus because Jesus loved to tell stories. The stories he told we call parables. The word parable literally means riddle. The idea is that there's something to discover in the story that Jesus tells. And this morning we're going to look at a story that he tells about prayer. I got thinking about prayer this week and and I got thinking about my own life and I started thinking about what's the very first prayer that I remember ever hearing, uh, that I remember ever praying. And, And my guess is that there's not a lot of folks in this service that are of the age that will remember this prayer. But the prayer that my mom taught me when I was a little boy went something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake... I pray the Lord my soul to take. A few of you were saying that out loud with me. Let me just tell you, parents, that's a horrible prayer to teach your children. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. My mom's in heaven, and, you know, Mom, I forgive you for teaching me that prayer. But this whole idea of putting a child down, it's just about, you know, night-night time and all of that. And they, they teach you this prayer that, uh, you know, you might die in your sleep. And if you die, you know, you want... God to take your, your soul. That's just, that's not something that, uh, I think is, is an exciting thing to, to teach your, your kids. I, uh, I, I love the story that Jesus tells that we're gonna look at in Luke 11 today. It's, it's a story that is, uh, about prayer and it's about a friend that at midnight goes and knocks on the door of his neighbor and needs some, some help. But as I thought about prayer, I started thinking about when's the first time that we hear about prayer in the Bible? I mean, that that very first time, and I'll confess, I wasn't really, really sure. I thought surely that it must be something that was big, like, you know, the parting of the Red Sea or some kind of a battle that they're going to. And I discovered when I did a little research that the very first time that we read about prayer is in Genesis, the fourth chapter. It's right here on the screen. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, I read that, and I think, man, that seems like that's not a really big deal, right? I mean, that's not monumental. That's pretty nondescript. Somebody just had a baby, and and then people began to pray. And then I thought about my own life and realized it was that baby. In our case, his name was Andy. But when he came along 38 plus years ago, our prayer life got better. And then a daughter, Lainey, came along. And, and I'm just telling you, our prayer life got a whole lot better because she was a whole lot more of a challenge than, than he was. And as time has gone on, we now have grandkids. And I, I'm I'm believing that kids and grandkids just improve your prayer life. Well, before we read the, the parable this morning, this this story of the neighbor... I thought we'd get a little context for the prayer. So go with me to Luke chapter 11, the very first verse. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. I think that's significant. I don't know whether you have a certain place, but if you don't have a certain place, I would encourage you to get a certain place. There's something about uh, that place, that chair, that room, that corner, that closet, wherever it is, that if you have that certain place that... That I guarantee you, you get that certain place and that certain place will just call to you and draw you in. And apparently Jesus set the model with a certain place. When he had finished, the disciples apparently were paying attention. One of his disciples, we don't know which one, said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now we know that as the Lord's Prayer. Last month, you know the game show Jeopardy? It's it's for really, really smart people, right? And they ask all these really, really hard questions. And one of the questions, I think on June 13th or June 14th, Was fill in the blank. And the blank was this. Our father who art in heaven. Blank. Be thy name. So answer it with me. What's the blank? Hallow. This is a really, really smart group. All of you would have done really, really well on, on Jeopardy. Because you know what? If you had been there. You would have been the only one to get the answer right that day. None of the three even buzzed in to give a wrong answer. They had no idea. Which is Shocking and kind of concerning to me that the most famous prayer in the world is unknown, at least to these three geniuses that were on Jeopardy that day. Well, Jesus teaches this, this Lord's Prayer, and I don't know whether you have thought much about where you learned to pray or who you listened to when you were growing up Pray. But my guess is that they had a big impact on you, and an influence on you, and you probably began to pray a little bit like them. You know, some people just seem to pray and it's like they've got this direct connection to heaven and the words just flow out of their mouth and they're all put together in the right place. And I never feel like that's really the way I pray. I feel somewhat inadequate when I pray. But I have to remind myself on a regular basis that the prayer is just calling home. You don't have to have a script you know in the old days you guys are a little bit too uh too young to remember this but but in the old days you you had to have a friends and family plan or or you had to call after nine o'clock at night and, and so we would wait until after nine to to call to be able to to save money but but that's not what scripture teaches us scripture teaches us that we can call home we can talk to our heavenly father anytime day or night before midnight at midnight after midnight. This opening word of the prayer is one that, that doesn't really grab us nearly like it grabbed Jesus' audience that day. That, that first word that he teaches is the word Father. That's how Brent started his prayer today. It's how often many of us start our prayers. Father. But in those days, that would have been really, really radical. Because they didn't use the word Father. In fact, the truth is, they were afraid to use the word God. If you go back to the Old Testament, you can only find seven references to Father as God in the Old Testament. And they were, were distant. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament and he does this crazy thing. He throws off all restraint and he begins to, to use the word Father all the time. In fact, Jesus himself 200 different times uses the word Father as he prays to his Father in heaven. I guess it makes sense because his very first recorded words, do you remember those? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house when his parents had lost him? Joseph and Mary were desperately trying to find him. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's where you are today. You find yourself in your father's house. So we're in the father's house today. And we're about to, uh, to look at a parable that follows the most famous of all prayers. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. And I love what Henry Ward Beecher said about the prayer. He said this about the Lord's Prayer. I used to think the Lord's Prayer was a short prayer. But as I live longer and I see more of life, I begin to believe that there is no such thing as getting through it. If a person in praying that prayer were to be stopped by every word until they had thoroughly prayed it, it would take a lifetime. Well, Jesus, like any good preacher, illustrates his teaching. So he gives the Lord's Prayer after after the request of his disciples who want what John's disciples has had. And immediately, I mean the very next verse after he gives the Lord's Prayer, he launches into the parable that we look at today. We pick up the story in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are already in bed. They lived in one-room houses in those days. He says, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This is the story that Jesus tells in response to the Lord's prayer. So here's my question for you this morning. Do you have a a midnight or an after midnight friend? Somebody that that you know that at 3 o'clock in the morning you could call and they would not only wake up, they would get up and they would show up. I'm looking at one of my three o'clock in the morning friends this morning. I have friends like that, and I hope that you have friends like that, because everybody needs that middle-of-the-night friend that will get up, wake up, and show up for them. But I don't think this parable is about friendship. I think it's about prayer and the possibilities of prayer because of the relationship that we have with Jesus. We can always knock on his door and we don't have to go next door. We can make the call from wherever we are. Psalm 139 tells me that he knows where we are. Even when we're hiding from him or attempting to hide from him, he knows where we are. And when we start our prayer, I don't have to say, hi, father, this is Keith. Let me give you my social security number so that you know exactly who I am. Or, or did you know that I was born on June the 24th? Or I've got a password for this account that I have with you, Jesus. I, do you need my password? Or if I've lost my password, the secret question that, that gets me through all of the gates to be able to, to get to you. We don't, we don't need any of that. In fact, Matthew tells us that, that he knows the number of hairs on our head. You know, for some people, that's not hard. For others, it's a little more difficult. And for some of us, it's getting easier for the Lord all the time. He knows us. He knows where we are. And I know this is hard to imagine. I think he's sitting on the edge of the seat waiting for us to call him, to call home. Now, I love that this parable is, uh, is a need for another friend. In fact, I I think one of the things that would be a healthy thing for all of us to do from time to time is to take an audit of our prayers. And to just ask the question, are are our prayers all about us? Are are we just praying about our needs or are we making certain that, that we're talking about the needs of our friends, the needs of our world? This story, this person is is trying to care for the need of another, and so they're willing to make this audacious request. Notice that it's not for one loaf of bread, but it's for three loaves of bread. So here's the first thing that this parable teaches me. The parable teaches me the importance of audacity. In fact, the New International Version actually puts these two words together. Shameless audacity. Have you ever thought about praying shamelessly audacious prayers? That's like a big time prayer to just to just put it out there. I I don't know that we think that way, but I think that we ought to think that way. So so you got some cards on your way in this morning should have received a card that's like this. I, I heard that this created lots of problems in the first service. I don't know whether you all are like this, but the first service folks were afraid that that I had been sent by Pastor Rick today to take pledges. Because the last time that I think I was up in front of you all, you were making pledges for a, for a campaign. There are no pledges involved in this. But, but here's what I'd like you to do with this card. I'd like you to, to ask yourself the question, what is the most courageous prayer that you're currently praying? What's the most courageous prayer that you're currently praying? And then there's a little bit of a subtitle for that too, and that is, is it for yourself or for someone else. If you're not praying something courageously or audaciously, what's stopping you? You know, I, I can't find anywhere in Scripture that suggests that we should pray tiny prayers, or that if we exceed the limit, that we're somehow penalized or punished. There, there's nothing in Scripture that I can find that suggests that that we have to to limit. The audaciousness of the prayer that we're praying, especially if we're praying for someone else. So, if you're not praying something courageous or audacious, I would encourage you to get started. Because you can pray before midnight or after midnight. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always waiting to hear your prayers and my prayers. Well, let's go on. More words from Jesus. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I uh, I kind of like fishing. Going to try and do some at about ten thousand feet this next week in Colorado. I'm not really big on snakes. I I. I just, you know, if I have my choice between a fish and a snake, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose a fish. And, and eggs and scorpions, I, uh, I like eggs. Scorpions, not so much. Well, what's Jesus doing in this, this riddle, this parable? I, I think he's making a comparison. And, and he's trying to say, you know what? If earthly dads can give, the, get this right, don't you think your heavenly father can, can get it right as well? It, it's the power of, of contrast. I was uh, I was on an airplane a few years ago. spent a lot of my life on airplanes. I was flying a short flight from Houston to Dallas and then Dallas to Abilene. When I got on the plane in Houston, I had a window seat. And it was one of those smaller planes that's two on this side and two on that side. And and there was a guy that was seated when I uh, slipped in uh, and took my seat. I, I debated about doing some work and finally just decided I was going to try and take a nap between Houston and, and Dallas. It's just a 40-minute flight. But I found myself not able to sleep or rest because the guy next to me was invading my personal space. Ever had anybody invade your personal space on a plane? This guy was just making me really nervous and uncomfortable. And my mind began to to imagine that he was a, a hijacker. I kid you not. I don't know what a hijacker looks, but in my mind, this guy looked like a hijacker. And he was kind of moving around in his seat, and he was leaning over into my space into my seat, and he was looking out the window and and he was really bothering me so much so that I finally kind of just turned and i I looked at him with as much kindness as I could muster up he said uh, i'm making you uncomfortable, aren't I?" Well, you know, sweat is just pouring from his brow, and I said, "You know I, I got to be honest, you are." What's the story? What's going on? He said, I, I hate to fly. I said, Oh, I said, is this your first time to fly? No. I said, do you fly often every week? I thought, Oh, I pity the poor people that have to sit next to you on these flights all of the time, because you're you're just a weirdo when you, when you're flying. I mean, you may be a really nice person, but you're a weirdo when you're flying. And and, and he began to, to tell me uh, a little bit about his story. He was a salesperson for Champion Paper, and his job required him to fly all the time. But he just got super stressed out by flying. We taxied down the, the runway. We, we took off. I could tell he was still really, really uncomfortable. We finally leveled out above the clouds, and we continued our conversation. And then he said something to me that I've never forgotten. He said, you know, I think that I would be better, maybe even okay, if I knew the pilot. If I had a personal relationship with the pilot, if I knew him, I think I would be more comfortable flying. And it dawned on me in that moment that I think that's the way that a lot of people go through life. And it's the reason why maybe a lot of people don't choose to pray, because... They don't know our pilot. They don't know the, the father in heaven that is eagerly, anxiously waiting to hear our prayers. So calling home is a really, really good thing that, uh, that we can all be involved in any time. So it leads me to, to uh, what the parable teaches me next. And that is about capacity. The parable teaches me the importance of understanding my capacity and it's unlimited. I think my kids know this. And I'm pretty sure my granddaughters are discovering it. And, and it's, it's simply this. I can't imagine a need. Notice I didn't say want. But I can't imagine a need that my kids or my grandkids could ever possibly have. That if I could meet the need that I wouldn't do it. That's how much I love them. That's that's It's just a natural kind of thing. And, and so their capacity is more than their capacity, it's my capacity as well. It's the story that Pastor Rick told a few weeks ago about his daughter Brittany. Remember the story? she gave away a purse to somebody that was serving them in a restaurant. Why did she give away the purse? She knew she gave away the purse because she knew that she could get another purse. And why was that? Because her capacity was not her capacity as a college student. it was her dad's capacity. See where I'm going with this? Your capacity, my capacity, is not limited to a checking account or the hours in the day or whatever resources we might be able to garner. Our capacity as children of the Father is His capacity. So what's the biggest prayer that you're praying? That goes on your card. The biggest prayer that you're currently praying. And whatever that is, I would just encourage you to supersize it. Make it bigger. If you've limited your vision because you think that that you're not enough, you're right. You're not enough. But there's nothing that can be limited with God. A few years ago, we embarked on this campaign here, right here at BFC. We called the campaign Beyond. You remember, Beyond was based on Ephesians 3.20. Ephesians 3.20 tells us that, that he can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or dream or imagine. So let's pray big. Well, we finish up Luke 11, this parable, with a look at these words from Jesus. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open." So before we go away from this, can I just, I, I wish I could make this red. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. It's the the red letter edition in your Bible, if you've got a red letter edition. Jesus is saying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Right here, after the disciples ask for some help in learning to pray, Jesus gives them this prayer, and then he tells the story about a friend knocking on another friend's door at midnight. And if we had time this morning, we could look at some other parables that, that teach the same message The message of knocking, and then maybe knocking again, pounding, and then maybe knocking and pounding some more. And then sometimes it involves waiting when we pray. So here's what the parable teaches me. Tenacity. The parable encourages my tenacity in prayer. Our Heavenly Father is not hard of hearing. That's not the message that Jesus is giving to his disciples in learning to pray. It's not that he's hard of hearing, but I'm convinced that he knows that good things happen when the answers don't come that quickly. Seek, find, knock again and again. So look at your card one more time. And then I want you to write down this question. What's the hardest prayer that you've been praying? For some of you that, uh, that are a little bit older, I would say that this may be the prayer that you've been praying over and over and over and over again. And if the prayer is not answered in your lifetime, it will be the last prayer that you're breathing when you have breath. It is that tenacious prayer. It is the prayer that, uh, that we're just not willing to give up on. And so here's my message to myself and to you don't stop. Quit. Quit thinking that just because you don't have the answer that you're looking for, that, that you can give up. Let me finish with a couple of stories, one that's from Scripture and one that's from a, a few years back. If you study Scripture, you'll see that there's some great prayers in Scripture. You can read prayers of, of Moses. You can read prayers of Hannah. You can read uh, prayers of David and Solomon and, and prayers of, of Jonah. And there's some great prayers that come from a guy that, uh, that we finish up with today. His name is Hezekiah. Uh, Hezekiah was uh, was a guy that trusted in the Lord. In fact, this is what scripture says about him. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. That's kind of high praise because Judah had a lot of kings. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands that the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him and he was successful in whatever he undertook. So life is rocking along pretty well for King Hezekiah. The year was 701 B.C., and uh, things took a turn. The king of Assyria came calling. Sennacherib was the king. He commanded an army that was at least 185,000 men. And it was an army that not only was big, but it was undefeated. And they were on their way to Egypt, and the only thing that separated them from Egypt was Judah, and specifically Jerusalem. This particular army was 46 and 0 on the battlefield. 46 times they had gone into communities, to cities, and they had wiped them out. And now they found themselves not too far from Jerusalem in a place that was called Lachish. 30, 35 miles southwest of Jerusalem. They went to Lachish and one more time, they were victorious. So they're headed to Jerusalem and they send a letter to Hezekiah and the letter simply says this, we're coming for you. You're next on our list. Now I don't know about you, but but if I had been King Hezekiah, I think I would have done all kinds of things. I would have rallied the troops. I would have patched the walls in Jerusalem. I would have gathered everybody together and had some kind of a pep rally and, and, and created strategy and all of those kinds of things. And, and Hezekiah did none of that. None of it. I, I love what he did, though. We read it right here. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. Then he went up to the temple, spread it out before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I have problems, when I have big challenges, I think sometimes that uh, what I really need to do is to, to complain. Maybe sometimes to cry. Maybe sometimes it's to run, and sometimes it's to just quit. I think those are natural responses. But I love the response of Hezekiah. His response was simply to pray. Well, that's the story from Scripture. Let me take you to a story that uh, is not too many years old. It, it started a bunch of years ago, back in the 1400s, 15th century. There, there was a, an artist in Florence, Italy, pretty famous artist. His name was Filippino Lippi. He did what most artists did in those days. He painted a lot of pictures that would be spiritual pictures or religious pictures. One particular piece of art that he created hangs in a gallery in London. This particular picture was done of Mary, baby Jesus, a couple of the saints... And it featured the mountains in the background. But for hundreds of years, art critics looked at this picture and were they were convinced that something was wrong. The, the The mountains didn't look right. they They looked like they might just fall down on top of of Mary and baby jesus. and And the saints their their faces didn't look right. They were kind of askew. In the 20th century, there was an art critic by the name of Robert Cumming who began to study this mystery, trying to figure out why did Lippi's piece of art receive so much criticism and, and look unlike the other work that he had done. And Lippi got the idea to go to the museum where he stood face-to-face with the piece of art and stared at it for a long period of time. And then perhaps inspired, he knelt down and he looked up at the art. And it changed everything in the picture. You see, Filipino Lippi had not painted the picture as something to be admired in a gallery. He had painted it as an aid to prayer. a piece of art that was designed to to help people pray. And as I read that story, it made me wonder if that's not what happens in my own life. My perspective is is all wrong. I'm looking at it head on. Maybe I'm even trying to get above it and look down at it. I'm I'm not doing what Psalm 121 says, lifting my eyes up to the Lord. So take out your cards with me, if you would, one more time. Here's what I'd like you to do. This is the application part of the message. We're almost done. I I want you, as you listen to this beautiful music in the next few moments, to just consider that audacious, courageous prayer. Maybe even write it down on the card. We're called to pray with shameless audacity. And, And then... Capacity. What what's the biggest prayer that you're praying? Could you supersize it and and write it down while you listen to this beautiful song? Finally, what's that prayer that you're gonna keep on praying? You're gonna you're gonna just be tenacious in that prayer. You are committed to not giving up. You've got that card and you can do whatever you want to with it. If you've never prayed about anything day after day after day, I would encourage you to take that to that certain place with your Bible and and test God in this. Maybe you're new to prayer. Maybe you've been praying it for a long time. If you want some help with that prayer, you can take a picture of it on your phone and then drop the card off the altar on your way out this morning and the pastoral team here will continue to lift that in prayer if for some reason you didn't get a card on your way in this morning my guess is you got a, a phone that's got a little notes thing and you could write your prayers in there an audacious courageous prayer a capacity prayer a big prayer a tenacious prayer one that you refuse to quit praying As we end our time together this morning, join me in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.